we got a question for you. How old are you? Okay, it's okay. It's all right. Some people are like, oh, I will not ask that. But here's the thing. I, I asked this actually over in Morris. I, I got a chance to preach at the Morris campus last week. Um, you, many of you were here last week. You had a chance to hear Pastor Eric. How many of you were here last week and heard Pastor Eric? I heard he went a little offensive, and I apologize for his potty theology. Um, I begged him not to talk about that, and yet he did. But I asked, I had the opportunity to be over there at, uh, at Morris, and I asked them the same age, the same question, because the, the, the answer is, honestly, it has very little to do with your actual age. Um, because you've been asked this throughout your life about your, your, you know, you know, your birthday and how many birthdays you've celebrated, but you've also been asked this in other settings. Like, for example, um, I was a junior higher at one point, and I was super immature. And then I got a little bit more mature in high school, and then I went to college, and I became immature again. College was immaturity 2.0. It was like uh, back to junior high. Case in point, um, I, we were, uh, my, my dorm room was Colbertson Hall, and we were on the 10th floor, and we were in Chicago, and so at nighttime, they would, they would um, alarm the buildings. You had to have, like, you couldn't leave. We had curfews. It was like, it felt super immature for, you know, grown adult, 18-year-old men um, to have a curfew, but we did because it was Chicago and everything else, but we found out that there was this one door that was down, like, this, like, weird stairwell that if you tripped the alarm, if you opened it, it would trip a silent alarm that would call public safety to it, like, just by opening it. And so we thought, well, what if we got a bunch of us to go down there and trip the alarm, have a friend hold the door, and we could run across campus at nighttime, you know, middle of the night, and touch the flagpole, and then run back and get back inside, run back up the stairs, back to our room before campus security could catch us. That sounded like a really good challenge, right? Right? But we wanted to up our game, so we did it in whitey tidies. Now, here's what we did. We got, and it's weird that we still had whitey tidies, but we did. And so we're wearing these whitey tidies, and we're like all like going down this, this building, and then out the door, like we open the door, whoa, 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 except for it was silent. And so public uh, safety, they're, they're alerted, and it's so like we're like booking it across the campus in tidy whities sprinting at our full, sp- oh, on top of that, we not, didn't just have tidy whities down here, we took an extra pair of tidy whities and put it over our head and looked through the, the leg hole. Has anyone ever done that? You are missing out. You have not lived. It is so cool because you feel like a tidy whitey ninja. It's like you're running across. Like we look like, you know, I don't know. Like it was awesome. It's like we're booking that back and forth. I get back up there. We get back up to our, our room. Public safety never, campus safety never found us. They never got us in trouble that time. And it was so cool. And the great thing was is that the next weekend I call my parents and they're like, what have you been doing lately? I'm like, well, let me tell you. I and my friends... We ran through the, we ran out the building, we tripped the alarm, we were running in tidy whities on our bodies and tidy whities on our faces, and we touched the flagpole, it was amazing, they didn't even catch us, mom. You know what my mom said? (laughs) How old are you? You may have heard this when you were like gathering for like Thanksgiving or Christmas dinner or something. You got a whole bunch of family together and you might have one of those divided families. It's like, you know, you got different ideologies represented at the same table. And so you've got MSNBC and Fox News right there, right? And you're just, you know this going in. And so you're just like, I'm going to just lob a little hand grenade into this and just lean over. And before we start, before we say the prayer, that last election, (laughs) thoughts, and you just sit back. And watch what happens. Vaccinations. What do you guys think? And you just sit back and watch. And you know, some of you are smiling because this is you and you know it. 
And someone at the table, as everyone else is like yelling and profanity is, is, and facts that they've they read on the internet, so it's true, are just like flying across the table. And all of a sudden, you know, you're just sitting there and someone looks at you and they see, they know what you're doing and they know what you're doing because you're smiling. And as you're smiling, they look at you and they ask you something. You know what they ask? How old are you? You're driving north on 55, and as you're driving north, you're listening to some, like, talk radio show, and they're talking about these, you know, total snowflakes, these millennials who are so easily offended by everything. Like, seriously, guys, get a spine. When all of a sudden a Hyundai cuts you off in traffic, and you just lose it, and you are so offended, you're, like, yelling, and it's a good thing you're not a millennial, because you'd be really offended, but you're so angry that you get into a fast and furious move by getting into the next lane and going top gun speeds to catch up to this guy. And you get up to the Hyundai and you get in front and you cut him off and you slow down. And the person next to you, maybe a spouse, maybe a friend said, what did you do that for? And you're like, he started it. (laughs) And they look back at you and say, how old are you? The reality is, is that there's a big difference between our chronological age and our emotional age. You might be 25 years old and act like a seven-year-old. You might be 52 and you're still like nine. As a pastor, I have watched people for 25, almost 25 years, and I've seen people that I look at as refined, respectable, successful, established people that are mature until they're not, until change happens or something gets taken away from them or they get disappointed. And then all of a sudden they start whining and complaining. Most adults that I know, and I'm saying myself included, are five-year-olds with bad knees and old skin. That's it. (laughs) There's a big difference between chronological age and emotional age. In the book um, that we've been like using as a resource for a lot of our series here, this particular series, um, Emotionally Healthy Spirituality, Pete Scazzaro outlines the, the development of, um, of people as emotionally, how they develop. We know how people chronologically develop, but how do they emotionally develop? And by the way, um, many of you have been, we, you've been buying out that book. Every time we get it stocked, you buy it. And so we don't have any right now. We're hopefully, we want the, the guest hub to be a resource center for, for people to get devotionals and books that are, we're going through in a series um, for grownups and kids. And so use that. But we don't have any right now. We're going to get some in the future. But just find a cheap version of it. Get it on Kindle. Find it someplace else. But read it because it's really helpful. This section I found to be really, really helpful. And especially the, the whole outlining emotional maturity development from a child to an adult. Now I'm going to put these up on the screen, but I need you to promise me a couple things. First off, when you see what an emotional child is, I don't want you to poke the person next to you. Okay? I don't want you to, I don't want you to go... Okay, don't do that. I, I don't think about anyone else except for just you as, you're, as we're going through. So let's take a look. First off, we have, what, oh, I'm sorry, there we go. Emotional uh, infants. Emotional infants look for others to take care of them. By the way, all of us are going to factor into some of these somewhere. I want you to figure out where you are in this spectrum. Emotional infants look for others to take care of them, have great difficulty entering into the world of others. They're driven by a need for instant gratification, and they use others as objects to meet their needs. Infants do that, and when you're an infant, that's appropriate. What's inappropriate is when you're doing that and you're not an infant. If you're 10 and you're acting like this, there's a problem. If you're 40, big problem. Okay, let's move on to the emotional child. Emotional children are content and happy as long as they get what they want. They unravel quickly from stress, disappointments, trials, 
They interpret disagreements as personal offenses. Emotional children are easily hurt. Emotional children complain, withdraw, manipulate, take revenge, become sarcastic when they don't get their way. Emotional children have great difficulty calmly discussing their needs and wants in a mature, loving way. Okay, now again, this is emotional children, emotionally mature children, but I gotta be honest with you, this is a lot of us. A lot of us are stuck here. You might be pulling a great paycheck, but you're emotional, in your emotional maturity, you're right at a child. But maybe you're not. Maybe you're more mature than that. Maybe you're an emotionally mature teenager. Let's take a look at that. Emotional teens tend to be defensive. They're threatened and alarmed by criticism. They keep score of what they give so that they can ask for something later in return. Does that sound familiar? <laughs> Some of these men, seriously, they're so like convicting, like, Oh, why is that on there? Emotional teens deal with conflict poorly, often blaming, appeasing, going to a third party, pouting or ignoring the issue entirely. Emotional teens become preoccupied with themselves. They have great difficulty truly listening to another person's pain, disappointments or needs and are critical and judgmental. Okay, now so thus far we've gone from infancy all the way to teens and we probably, you probably heard something, but just think about where do you land in there? Now, I haven't even gone to the adult section, but so far we're already kind of going, oh, there's some work to do. Okay, so own it. Wherever you're at, own it and grow from there. Wherever you're at on that spectrum, own it and grow from there. And if you want some pictures of what it looks like to be emotionally mature, this is what an emotionally mature adult looks like. Take a look. Emotionally mature adults are able to ask for what they need, want, or prefer clearly, directly, and honestly. They recognize, manage, and take responsibility for their own thoughts and feelings. They can, when under stress, state their own beliefs and values without becoming adversarial. They respect others without having to change them. Emotional adults give people room to make mistakes and not be perfect. They appreciate people for what they are, the good, the bad, and the ugly, not for what they give back. They accurately assess their own limits, strengths, and weaknesses, and are able to freely discuss them with others. They're deeply in tune with their own emotional world and able to enter into the feelings, needs, and concerns of others without losing themselves, have the capacity to resolve conflict maturely and negotiate. They're deep, whoa, sorry, can you go back? Oh, oh yeah, thank you. Um, have the capacity to, okay, well, maturely and negotiate solutions that consider the perspective of others. Do you have one more? Or no, is that it? That's it. Okay, so when we look at all these up on the screen, I, just think about the, the, the four from, from infant all the way to adults. If it, can you put those up there, Don? Um, when we look at these, figure out where do you land in this? Where are you on this spectrum? And the, the problem is, is that a lot of us, even if you're an adult, are in this side and you haven't had a problem with that. Most of us don't have a problem for, with it because when people call us out, we just get defensive and we sound... I don't know, adult. I remember being a kid. I never wanted to become an adult. You know why? Because most adults looked boring and grumpy. And they're defensive. They're never wrong. And then I became one. And you start to see how natural all that is. And so the, what we're looking at here is this is a problem. In fact, I would say this is our emotional maturity problem is something that is not only wide known, it's not only just a human thing. It's something that, that is, I would even put it on an epidemic level. We react to others in a hyper immature way and lack the ability to communicate differences well. We act like kids and we're not kids. We check all the boxes. I'm successful. I'm, I'm killing it in this area or I'm, I've got a lot of friends. And yet we lack emotional maturity and we 
end up being emotional infants, not having the ability to respond well to problems. Cue last Sunday. Last Sunday night. We had an opportunity to watch this in full display. Um, we, um, and how many of you watched the Oscars? Okay, like there was just me and nobody else in the first service. They're like, <laughs> we don't, you idiot. I'm like, yes, I'm one of those idiots. I love movies. I love movies. It's like I like the Oscars, um, but totally forgot about the Oscars until like halfway through the program. And so we're all sitting there in the living room, and we're like, oh, the Oscars are on. Let's put it on. I don't know if it was like five or ten minutes, but it was a short time before this happened. All of a sudden, Chris Rock comes out to talk about the documentary award, and as he's doing that, he does what Chris Rock does. He's a comedian, and he just starts to burn people, you know, in the audience. And I'm like, oh, that's hilarious. And boom, 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 boom. He gets different people, gets Will Smith, and then he gets Jada, Jada Smith. Now, he says that he didn't know about the fact that she has a, a disease that causes her hair loss, but he made a bald joke about her. Okay, that didn't sit, once Will realized that she was upset by that, that didn't sit well with him. So you know what he did? He prayed about it. He went home and he thought about it. He called a friend, called a counselor, and then he wrote a really strongly worded email to Chris Rock saying, that was out of line, and you owe my wife an apology. No, he didn't do that at all. He stands up, and he walks on over, and that happened. And there was all these people like, it was totally staged. If you watched it live, you realize it wasn't. And we're like, because it sucked the oxygen out of the room. You were just like, and as the, the, the sensors are like all like bleeping everything out, because after he does this, he goes back to, the, to, the, to his chair and he just basically says stuff that I can't even repeat to you. And it was just like one of these crazy moments where you just felt sick watching it. You felt bad for Chris Rock. You felt bad for the Smiths. You didn't know what the right thing to do was, but this probably wasn't it. You're like, why are they not escorting him out? And then you realize that, well, he's up for an Oscar in a couple of minutes, and then he wins. And he gets up to the microphone and he says, and he knows, he knows that this is an awkward moment now. He's made it awkward. And he says something along the lines of, I'm just trying to do what God wants me to do, bringing love to the world. He said that. And in the audience, everyone's like. (laughs) And Chris Rock is backstage going. (laughs) Right? It took a couple of days. Um, I think it was Wednesday or Thursday, but he wrote out an apology to Chris Rock. And he said, I want to communicate love to this world, and I want that to be more and more what I'm doing, and my actions betrayed the very thing that I was trying to do. You know who agrees with Will Smith on that? The Apostle Paul. If you take a look at the end of this passage that we're studying, 1 Corinthians 13, he says this, when I was a child, I talked like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I put the ways of childhood behind me. And now these three remain, faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these, more important than faith, more important than hope, is love. And then the reason that that's so important is that love is the mechanism that God uses to finish his work in you. It is the mechanism that is the defining aspect of our faith that changes us and changes the world around us. In fact, I would put, the, put it this way. The primary cause, the primary cause of our emotional maturity issue, the pr- primary cause of our emotional immaturity is the lack of love. Don, can you put that up there? The primary cause of our emotional immaturity is the inability to love others well. The primary cause of, and this is why, everyone when you're born, we're born narcissists. We're totally me-centered. 
And as we grow up, we are looking out of our eyes. There's not a single thing that you're looking at from someone else's perspective entirely because you're thinking about it with your own mind from your own vantage point. Our whole life, we're looking at the world through our eyes. And so narcissism is natural. And what that causes us to do is to take, take things like self-care and self-love, two things that are good, and cause them to become our epicenter center. And what happens with that is that we end up as people who are self-absorbed and self-centered individuals, emotionally immature, treating other people like jerks because they've messed with us, treating people like jerks because they've disrespected us, acting like a little child, even though we are middle-aged or in your 20s or 17. And the problem with this is that this is a human problem, again, that Paul points out, but the real problem is for Christians because we center our faith on love. We center our faith on the crucified Christ who one of his apostles said, listen, if you don't love people, you don't know God. You could say you're religious, you could say you love, but if you don't love people, you don't know the the one true God. Jesus said if you wanted to summarize the entire Old Testament, if you want to summarize all the law and the prophets, it's basically this, love God and love others. And the crazy thing that he didn't tack on there is love yourself. You know why? Because when I start to love God, I recognize how amazingly I'm loved. My love doesn't precede God's love for me. I start off with a recognition of how full my tank is of being loved and valued. And so I'm not operating from a place of insecurity or instability. I'm not. And because of that, I've got the ability to love God because God gives me that capacity. And then to love others. It's other-centric living that leads to happiness and fulfillment and maturity. The problem is that we don't do that. We are so us-centered. And again, it's a real problem for the world, but it's a big issue for Christians. Paul says so. Look at what he says here. If I speak in the tongues of men, this is in the same passage, if I speak in the tongues of men and angels, but do not have love, I'm a resounding gong or clanging cymbal. Okay, how many in here are currently or ever was in the percussion part of band? Okay, a couple of us, most people over there. All right, how many of you have ever hit uh, like a gong? Okay, those are awesome until, they're, until you're close to them. Like when you're close to them, it's just like, nah. like seriously, like get your ear too close to it. It's like, and you're like, you have hearing loss. No one wants to be close to a, a gong or a massive cymbal. But Paul says, if I don't have love, I'm a resounding gong or clanging cymbal. I'm like, get away. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and knowledge, and if I have faith that can move mountains, but I don't have love, I am nothing. Nothing. In the original Greek, you know what that means? Nothing. Nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and give over my body to hardship that I may boast, but I don't have love, I gain nothing. Ouch. I mean, did you see, did you catch this? Paul is calling out Christians who think that they're doing everything right. They've checked all the right boxes, but they just lack love. But like, yeah, but what's the big deal? I'm doing all the right stuff. And he's like, that, you're, you're doing nothing. Do you realize this? If you think that way, your life adds up to nothing. You are nothing, and nobody wants to hang out with you. And you were created for more than that. In the first part of this passage, it's as if Paul is addressing conservative evangelical Christians who have great faith, and their life displays all the right stuff, but they lack love. And Paul is saying, that is nothing. 
It adds up to nothing. And in the bottom section, he's, he's going for more left-leaning social gospel individuals that are giving all they have to the poor and the marginalized to lift them up. Yeah, maybe my doctrine isn't all super like shiny or, or all put together, but I'm doing the right stuff. I'm the hands and feet of Jesus. And Paul's like, yeah, but do you love people that are hard for you to love? Because if you're not, then it's nothing. That's the problem. But the cool thing is that Paul doesn't just call out the problem. He, calls out, he gives us a plan. We have an emotional security plan. And it actually is in the passage um, that we're, we're in. If you've got your Bibles, turn there. And this is, I mean, this is so familiar that, that many of you have memorized this or you've sung songs that have gone with this. But Paul gives us a checklist of what does emotional maturity that is led by love look like. He says this. He gives us the definition of our interaction, our marching orders, our protocol with the world around us. And he says this. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It's not proud. It does not dishonor others. It's not self-seeking. It's not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. Basically, Paul is saying you've got a choice. If you are emotionally immature and you're self-absorbed and self-centered and you're a pouty little kid, even though you're much older than that, you have a choice that you can step up from there. Own it. Own wherever you are and grow from there. And this is how you do it. Just to paraphrase it, we can put these up on the screen. Choosing to be patient. How many of you have had a hard time being patient in the last month? Okay, this morning. <laughs> okay, yeah. Patience is something that you don't even have to pray for God to give you opportunities to be patient. It happens naturally. You just got to breathe and wake up. And every day you've got the opportunity to be patient. Kind. Choosing to be kind. I don't know where this went off the rails for guys, but there's this weird idea that guys are not supposed to be kind, and Christians have like owned that. Christian men are like, I got truth, and I've got boldness. It's all I need. I'm a warrior. What? <laughs> that may make sense in your head, but it doesn't make sense in the Bible. The Bible says that the most strong warrior Christian man, the most manly masculine man, is the kindest person in the room. Is that you? Are you the kindest person in the room with the people that God has called into your life? Your spouse, your girlfriend, your kids, your parents, your coworkers, the people you go to school with. This isn't just for guys, but guys, for some reason, when we, we struggle with this in a unique way. Ladies, you struggle with it in a totally other unique way. What about you? Are you the kindest person in the room? If not, own it, repent of it, and grow from there. Choosing to not be jealous. This is basically going face-to-face -face with the comparison game that every single human being has from a childhood. As soon as you can look and see that someone else in the nursery has more toys than you, you start to freak. There's kids right now over there in an in, in Adventure Outpost nursery that are really struggling with this one. And they don't stop until they're dead. We have this comparison game of, I just wish that I was as talented as this person, as gifted as this person, as, as socially, I don't know, uh, blessed as this person, as, as romantically blessed as this person, uh, to have as much opportunities or stuff or job promotion or acknowledgement or attention as this person, but that's not me. And I struggle with this. And the thing that I have to remind myself whenever I start getting into the comparison game, where I start feeling like, like just like garbage, is I have to think about whoever I'm comparing myself to and say, God, I am complete in you right now. My value and worth is not if I'm any better or any less. It's me right now to you. 
and I'm on this planet for a handful of decades. That's it. I don't have time to be jealous like this. So God, give me the heart to be excited and even happy for that person and what they're experiencing and what they own or what they're going through or the good that's happening to them that may not be happening to me. Jealous. Choosing to not be full of yourself, choosing to avoid roasting others. This is something that Paul uses the word dishonor, uh, but it's basically like what we, human beings, we really love like trashing other people and Christians are no different. Like we, we like trashing people, but people that are safe to trash for Christians. And actually everyone, whether you're a Christian or an atheist, it's awesome to trash politicians. Like we love doing that. Well, they're elected officials. Like they deserve to be dishonored. I'm looking for that in here. I just don't see it. <laughs> and so here's the thing. That's, I, I, I can struggle with that. And so if you're like me and you're in a situation where you're in a setting where everyone's like totally burning someone, totally roasting someone, and you're like, <laughs> and you're going to add to it, just like go, okay, that's natural for me to do. It's just not Christian. And walk it back. You're not going to miss out on anything, I promise. You'll find yourself getting a ton. Choosing to not be me first, choosing to not be short-fused. Some of you in this room, you've got like the fuse before you explode and get angry. You could wrap that fuse around this building 15 times. There's someone in this room I saw in the atrium. I'm not going to call her out by name, but seriously, she probably had the, the fuse between when something happens that would upset her and her actually exploding probably is between here and the Pacific Ocean. I mean, just, it's, she's got a great, just amazingly patient, tolerant person. Um, but there's some of us in this room, our fuse is so microscopic that for real, we would need like, like a microscope to see it. It's just like you light the match, it's gone, right? And so we, we, if that's you, don't deny it. Own it. Repent of it and grow from there. Choosing to let go of wrongs instead of saving them for future ammo. I wrestle with this a lot. Like, relationally speaking, sometimes, like, like for example, um, I'm going to share with you an, um, an illustration right now because I think it's going to be helpful to you and because my wife is out of the country. <laughs> um, for months, Julie has been getting on my case about losing her car key. We have two car keys for her car, and I lost, she said, <laughs> I lost the key. I misplaced it. Now, the truth is, Errol misplaces things a lot. I lose things a lot. So, if you're, you don't need to be Sherlock Holmes to say, dude, it's your fault, right? But she was, I, but she was saying, she's like, you lost my key. You need to find my key. I'm like, I, I, Julie, I don't think I lost the key. I don't think, I, I think you might have misplaced it. Maybe it wasn't me. And I'm saying that in faith because I'm, I'm pretty sure it wasn't me. But at the same time, I'm like, oh, there's a chance. But I'm, I'm almost confident. And so, so for months, she's like, have you looked in your, your, like, your clothes that maybe you wore or a jacket or something? I'm like, Julie, I've looked in everything twice or three times and searched my truck. I don't know where it is. I don't know. I can't find your keys. Maybe it wasn't me. It was you. We've got four kids. Can't you blame one of the kids? I mean, that's the go-to, right? And so anyway, she's in Haiti. The boys and I were cleaning up the garage. And all of a sudden, I pick up one of her uh, coats that was, happened to be in the garage. And as I pick it up, guess what falls out of the pocket? <laughs> now, an emotionally mature person shouldn't gloat. And Julie's in Haiti, and, we, and I shouldn't interrupt her. She's doing humanitarian work for Jesus. But... <laughs> text! 
look what I just found. <laughs> what? Julia texts back almost immediately. Yeah. Where did you find that? Your coat. <laughs> now, what am I hoping to see texted back? Why was it so easy for you? <laughs> She's like, huh. <laughs> now, I wanted to text things back. <laughs> but I realized what I was preaching on this weekend. <laughs> and here's the deal. There's a part of me that wants to hold on to that and bank that like, okay, next time she blames me for something, guess what I'm going to bring out? Your keys. <laughs> That's natural. It's just not Christian. That's not emotional maturity. That's aerial maturity that I need to repent of. I need to own it, grow from it, and stop it. Choosing to let go of wrongs instead of saving them for future ammo, and then choosing to celebrate good, not negotiate. Uh, celebrate good, not negative. And that, that's something that's, that's super, super important. So again, Paul calls out the problem. He gives us the plan. That we can actually live out, flesh out that list. We could do that. But, th but then we have to ask ourselves, what, when is the time to start this? When is the time to start choosing emotional maturity? And the answer is right now. You don't have a second to lose. You need to make this choice. This is not something you have to pray about. It's not something you have to think about. You just step up. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 7 this. He says, love always protects. It always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. It, it, this is something that, that is all-encompassing. This is something that, that if you if you delay, you're wasting time and you're hurting yourself and you're hurting others. Jump on this right now. He says this in the next verse. He says, love never fails. Love never fails. But where there are prophecies, they're going to cease. Where there are tongues, they will be stilled. Where there is knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part. But when completeness comes, what in, is in part disappears. What are you saying, Paul? He's saying this. Everything that you invest your life in is going to expire. Accept what you do out of love. Love is the mechanism that God uses to grow you closer to the person of Jesus, to be like him. It grows your emotional maturity. It changes you and it changes your world. And if you choose to delay that or like, well, yeah, but this is just the way I am. This is how I was born. No. This is how my parents raised me. I, I can't... I've had a hard year. You don't understand what I'm going You're right. I don't understand what you're going through. But the truth is, is that this is one of the reasons why we have Celebrate Recovery and every other group in this church is that we can walk alongside people that could say, stop making excuses and start walking and start living out this reality that is so for you. This is an amazing reality we have. So how do you know if you're actually becoming more mature? How do you know? Well, a couple things. First off, you find yourself sourcing your battle plans from Scripture's description of who you are. I want to encourage you to use 1 Corinthians 13. It's chapter 13. It has 13 verses in it, and it's all lucky. So this is something that you've got to go to. Go to 1 Corinthians 13. Read through that, and then make decisions. Before you say something, do that. What if Chris Rock is saying what he's saying, and Will Smith just gets super ticked off and hurt and upset? And then all of a sudden, instead of walking up on the stage, he's like, hold on a sec. Pull up 1 Corinthians 13 and read it. He would not have done what he did. I promise you that. Source your battle plans from Scripture's description of who you are. 
and what you're called to do. Second, find yourself responding instead of reacting. Reaction is this. When you go to the doctor, when you went to the doctor as a kid, they took like a little hammer and hit your knee and you whoop, did that. I remember being freaked out as a kid. I thought my leg was possessed. I didn't tell it to do that. It's like, it just did it. It was like, it, it blew my mind. That's reaction. I didn't, I didn't intend for that to happen. He just hit and then it just happened. That's how we talk sometimes. We don't intend. We don't plan. It just, I'm just reacting. An emotionally mature Christian allows God's word to so develop you that you recognize, I stink at patience. I stink at not taking what people have done wrong and holding on to it so I can use it as future ammo. So you know that, you own it, you repent of it, and you ask God to help you. And then the next time something happens, you're like, actually, I know what to do right now. You're not reacting, you're responding. And the final bit of what you're going to see is that your world's going to start to take notice. And I promise you this will happen. If you start exhibiting patience, if you start exhibiting the things that, that, that God has called you to grow in in your emotional maturity, your kids will know, your friends will know, your parents will know, your spouse or boyfriend or girlfriend will know. They'll notice it because you usually get set off by that type of stuff and you're not. What's your deal? The world notices when things like take effect that shouldn't take effect. Um, when I found out about, uh, when I was watching the whole Will Smith aftermath, I was still asking that question, why wasn't he escorted out? And apparently, he refused to leave. And they were going to force the hand and remove him anyway. But they stopped because someone got in the way of them doing that. Someone told them not to, re to remove him. You know who that was? Chris Rock. The dude who was slapped refused to have Will Smith, the guy who slapped him, ejected from the Oscars because he knew that there was a good chance he was going to win an Academy Award. And he didn't want to rob him of that moment. What would you have done? Let me put it in a different way. How old are you? Let us be a people and a church that allows our chronological age reflect our emotional age as well. Let the Holy Spirit be the one who's empowering us to go out into the community expressing something that a lot of people in our world have no resources to know how to do. But we do. We do. And the only question is, are we going to be obedient and do that? Let's stand for prayer. Lord Jesus, I pray that you empower each of us to be the people that are taking you seriously. That we don't allow the sanctifying work of your hand simply stop at the fact that we pray to prayer or we show up to church or we tell people that we're a Christian or we read your Bible. But Lord, that we see it manifesting itself by breaking through the hardest parts of our heart that cause us to avoid loving others. God, I pray that you instead cause us to be the type of people that have bold, brave love, God, that, that, is, that we have the childlike heart of someone that is excited to, and passionate to follow your lead whatever you want us to do, but we have the emotional maturity of a grown-up who's mature in the faith. Lord, I pray that you help us start practicing that today as we leave this room, as we go to lunch, as we see family, as we get ready for school, as we go to work tomorrow. Lord, let us start to practice the fact that we can take steps into emotional maturity by following your lead. And we'll give you thanks for it. It's in Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people said, amen. amen. Let's go live it out.